morning. It's great to see you guys here. My name is Steve Murphy. Uh, love having you here in the building. And if you're checking us out online through podcast, uh, that's wonderful as well. Thanks for being here at uh, Discover either way. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5. And if you didn't bring a Bible, um, you know, bring one next time. If you have a, a phone with you, you may have it that way, and that's totally cool. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at all, we want you to pick one up in the lobby. They're free. Um, so just go ahead and get one of those. We want to give you that as a gift. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys know, but Stephen Hawking died this past week. And um, Stephen Hawking is a brilliant physicist, but Stephen Hawking is, is an atheist. He has no belief, had no belief in God. But the reality is this, and I don't say this to be vindictive or mean or anything, but I, I really believe that if Stephen Hawking was able to come back to earth, he would be the first one in line to say, hey guys, Jesus is real. Now, I have a question. It's a question for all of us. But when your life is over, where will you spend eternity? Will you spend it with God forever or separated from God forever? And you might think, I, I, I can't answer that question. Yeah, you can. You can have uh, the right answer to that question is to be with God forever, and that's not because of anything you would do. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. Is it, is it a relationship that is a saving one? Do you have that kind of relationship with God? Have you completely followed God's design to be in relationship with him? This Roman series is leading to Easter when we celebrate the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And next week, we're going to talk about how our baptism connects in that same way. It's the very next part of Romans, Romans chapter 6. And some of you haven't taken that step of faith yet. And we want you to do that. We'd really love for you to do that anytime. But on Easter would be a great day to connect with the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. So be praying about that. If you, if you need to talk to someone about that. And we're talking about, you know, you as, a, as an adult, meaning a person who is old enough to make a decision for yourself. And you've said yes to Jesus. And, and then you've been baptized. You've been immersed in water. If you haven't done that, we really want you to take that next step of faith. So be considering what that looks like. You know, Romans provides just this amazing uh, picture of spiritual life. And, and we found in the first parts of it that it, it doesn't matter if you're a, a Jewish person or a non-Jewish person, in other words, a Gentile, all of us fall short of the perfect standard of God. And that separates us from God. And that means we're guilty, and there's nothing we can do about it. The only way we can become right with God is to place our faith in Jesus. We talked about that last week, and, and that's where we're going to pick up again today. So Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is the verse we read as we left last week. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now I want to pause there for just a second. I don't know about you, but when I was a young person, I was always told, don't brag. Right? You've heard this? Are you awake? Have you heard this? Yes. You're not supposed to brag. Paul says, I boast about something. 
And he says it's okay for us to boast about this. It's okay to, to boast that we are justified, that we are made right with God through faith. Faith that is our belief in action. We're allowed to boast about that. We're allowed to boast about the fact that we have peace with God through Jesus. We're allowed to boast about the fact that we have hope in God and the glory that only God can give. You're allowed to brag about that all day long. You're not going to get in trouble from God. You might get in trouble from somebody who doesn't want you to talk about it, but you're not going to get in trouble from God. Well, let's continue. Verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, that's not nearly as good, right? Sufferings, we, we rejoice, we glory in our sufferings. For the Christian... Suffering leads to hope. Suffering leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to character. Character leads to hope. And that's possible because of the Holy Spirit, because of the love of God. And we don't like to talk about that idea of suffering, whatever form it may take, but it's a reality in our world. And for some of us, it's a reality in our lives. And this summer, as we walk through First and Second Peter, we'll talk more about what that means. So now we come to one of the most amazing passages of, of Scripture. It's fantastic. It's life-changing. It's a core statement that people of faith, as followers of Jesus, embrace. But before we read it, I want us to just think about a quick story. So there was a, a plane that was on fire. It was still on the runway, but the plane was on fire. And they said, everybody needs to get out. And so everybody stood up. And instead of heading immediately to the exits, guess what they did? They did this. They were grabbing their stuff. And they said, you need to get out of the plane. It's on fire. I've got to get my stuff. I need my passport. This shirt's new. You know, what are you doing? It's on fire. <laughs> they calculated, you know, oh, it'll only take me 15 seconds. If every single person that was in that plane took 15 seconds to get their one little precious item, it would take an additional seven minutes to get everybody off the plane. Are you willing to die for a piece of luggage? The, the, the officials said, it's crazy. People were putting a piece of luggage in front of their lives. What are you willing to die for? Well, I think some of us would say, like if you're a parent maybe, or, or there's someone in your family that you really love. Hopefully that's everybody, but someone in your family. Um, you might be willing to die for someone in your family or a close friend. You might be willing to die for someone like a young child, even if you don't know them. You, you might be willing to die for someone who's completely innocent. And, and those are all great things. There are people we know that run into rushing buildings when they're on fire and everybody else is running out unless they're grabbing their luggage. But 
We, we know that there are people who, who go the opposite direction because of their sacrifice, their willingness to do that, and that should never be diminished. But God takes all of that and he elevates it. It's a whole different level. And, and we find out what that is as we continue reading. Verse 6. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loves you more than life itself. He loves you enough to go through hell for you to be separated from God on the cross so that you did not have to go to hell and be separated from God forever. And just as faith is proven by action, love is proven by action. Love is a verb. God demonstrates his love by allowing, to Jesus, by allowing Jesus to die for us. When did that happen? When did God demonstrate his love? When we were up on God's lap, Telling him how wonderful he is as our father? No. Did, did God demonstrate his love for us when we were walking in his design, his plan for us? No. Did God demonstrate his love when we realized we had gotten away from his design? We apologized, we asked forgiveness, and we said, I'm sorry for breaking your heart. Is that when God demonstrated his love? No. God proved his love while we had our backs turned as we were walking away. Being people who chose sin over God, that's exactly when Jesus died for us. And that changed everything. It changed the way we become right with God forever. It changed from being a person-centered way to a God-centered way. Let's read more about what that means, starting in verse 9. Since we have been justified, again, that means made right, by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we boast, we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. We're going to pause right there. When Adam and Eve chose what God said was forbidden, they sinned, and sin entered the world. And we think, why did they do that? I wouldn't have done that, right? It, was, it wasn't that hard. They just had this one thing. All they had to do was stay straight on this line. God just said, just stay right there. You'll be good. 
Jan Salman a few years ago took a large group of people out into an open field to do an experiment. Everyone was blindfolded, and one at a time they were asked to, to walk in a straight line. Some people made it about 10 paces before they started to veer off course. Some made it 20. A few made it 50 or a little bit more. But every single person went off course. They completely thought, I'm going straight. I am headed right where I'm supposed to go. And this kept getting further and further and further and further away. And this wasn't a few people. It wasn't some of the people. It wasn't even most of the people. It was every single person. Again, thinking, I'm going straight, and they weren't. All of us, all of us have this bent towards sin. And we think we might go be going the right way, and we're not. Because we're focusing on human intuition, human ability. Every single one of us veer off the path that God designed for us, which means this, a people-centered path every time will lead to destruction. After this verse, verse 12, um, Paul talks a little bit more about what it means that sin entered the world through Adam and what, what ramifications, big word, what consequences that has for us. And then he provides the contrast, and it's all the way down in verse 17, and that's where we're going to jump to. For if by the trespass of the one man, again, this is Adam, sin, um, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? It changes everything. Most of the time, again, human intuition, human thinking, the human path, we, we think, you know, uh, all of my sin is on this side of the balance, you know, the scale. This, it's all the stuff I've done wrong is over here. So that means I just need to make sure this side is weighed with more good. Just keep working and doing good stuff and, and trying to make sure that everything is right. The problem is it only takes one sin to throw the balance off. And it doesn't matter how many good things we do, the one sin will separate us from God. And it's not as if one of, any of us has only sinned once, right? We know it's been multiple times. There's nothing that we can do to tip the scales in our favor. Just nothing at all. It's going to take something unprecedented, something that's never happened, something incredible, something amazing to change it. Some of you are into the, uh, into the NCAA men's basketball tournament, and that's cool. Um, our family does a little pool. Uh, no matter what, the way we set this up years ago was Teresa and I, whether we win or lose, we pay, so I feel like I lose every time anyway. But whoever wins gets to pick what restaurant we go to. It's just a great, fun family time. Um, but anyway, it was just interesting. I was checking the scores before I went to bed on uh, Thursday night, I believe it was, and um, <clears throat> I noticed Friday night, I think it was. It doesn't matter. Anyway, there's this team that was called Virginia, 
And they were supposed to be like not only a number one seed, they were like the number one seed in the tournament. Now, they were playing a number 16 seed. Does anybody know who they were playing? Who was it? Right. University of Maryland, Baltimore County. All of us have heard of this school before, right? Sure we have. So they're playing a number 16 seed. How many times has the number 16 seed beaten a number one seed? Never. Zero. It's never happened. It's... If, if you're a Little Caesars fan, on, I think, uh, April 2nd, you can go to Little Caesars and get free, a free, like, square of pizza and a bottle of Coke, because they put out this ad, if a number 16 seed ever beats a number one seed, we'll give you a free pizza. Well, they're going to have to do it. So, uh, anyway, that's coming up. But, anyway, that wasn't in the notes. All right, so... The number 16 seed is playing the number one seed, and I'm getting ready to go to bed, and I check the scores real quick, and it shows that UMBC is ahead of Virginia, and not by a little, by a lot. And I was like, whoa, I want to watch something historic. So I got out of bed, and I went downstairs, and I watched the rest of the game, and it was amazing. It was so cool, unless you're a Virginia fan. But it was cool to see this thing never happened before. In a much, much larger way, something amazing happened. Not something two days ago, something 2,000 years ago that changed everything. It was something unprecedented, something no one ever expected, something that it just was beyond anyone's imagination. See, the, the scales tip in our favor not because of the good deeds that we have done, but because Jesus gave his life to pay for all of the sin on this side. And it's not just my sin. It would be incredible for Jesus to die just for one person's, but he died for mine, and he died for yours. He died for every person who has or will ever live. And it was enough. That is incredible, amen? And you cannot overstate what that means. Now, this truth isn't really that hard to understand, but it's kind of hard to comprehend, like, deeply. It's hard to even more believe it. Because as we said last week, you know, if something seems too good to be true, it is normally, right? This seems too good to be true. But it's true. And it makes sense when we understand the difference of being in Adam, if you will, people-centered, or being in Jesus, God-centered. Let's look at a, a kind of a, an illustration to help us with this. So when, you, when you're thinking of, of being right with God based on a person-centered uh, path, the focus is on holiness. The focus is on doing all the right things. The focus is on the law. In fact, when it comes to the law, it's really, really important that you keep every part of it because here's what happens. <clears throat> if you keep every part of the law in the person-centered faith, in the person-centered path, you get to go to heaven. And if you break any part of the law, you go to hell. <clears throat> this is how, if we were trying to get into heaven on our own, this is how it looks. People-centered, keep all of the law. All you have to do is keep every rule that God's ever made, and you can get in. But if you break one, the Bible says you've broken all of it, and there's no hope for you. 
That's really what's going on. Now, on the opposite side <clears throat> is God-centered. And God, because of his love and grace, puts holiness on us, right, through Jesus. And when it comes to the law, this is what's incredible. Watch this. When it comes to the law, if you keep it, you go to hell, and if you break it, you go to heaven. And we go, that's not true. That doesn't make any sense at all. That, does, that is completely contrary to everything I've ever thought. How can that be true? Well, let's think it through from God's perspective. Again, God-centered, God's word. When it comes to the law, who is the only person who's ever walked on the earth who kept the entire law? And you're allowed to say his name. His name is? What happened to Jesus on the cross? He was separated from God. He died physically, but he died spiritually. He was separated. God separated from God because of the sin. God the Father turned his face away from God the Son, and Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, the Bible says, our memory verse, that Jesus became sin for us. And sin separates us from God. And the definition of hell is to be separated from God. So Jesus, the only one who ever kept the entire law, went to hell. Right? He did. On the other side, that puts every single person automatically on this other side because you've never kept the whole law. I haven't either. So we're on the other side. And what happens if you break the law in God-centered faith, in God-centered spirituality, you have the opportunity to go to heaven. Isn't that amazing? Now, I know we're going, I, sort of, yeah, I get it, kind of, but no. No, that's it. And if you try to make it anything else, you're putting humanity in the place of Jesus. And you can't do it. It doesn't work. There was a guy named uh, Sky Jethani, and he was invited to a Hall of Fame, baseball Hall of Fame induction party. And he was amazed when he got there because he got to meet all kinds of people. Here's a list of them. He got to hang out with Cal Ripken Jr., the guy who's played the most consecutive games, right? Probably never, that record will probably never be broken. Hung out with Wade Boggs, Said he got to talk to Tommy Lasorda, Andre Dawson, Carlton Fisk, and if you're a Reds fan, and Jesus loves you more than other people, and if you're a Reds fan, just kidding, he loves you all the same. I love you more if you're a Reds fan. Anyway, okay, <clears throat> just kidding, I love you all the same. He also got to hang out with Johnny Bench, and he was just blown away. What's funny is he's not really a big baseball fan. But he said it was amazing to be with all of these Hall of Famers. Now, how did he get into the Hall of Fame induction party? I mean, if you or I show up and, and go to, uh, it's Cooperstown, right? So if you go to Cooperstown and you say, hey, I'm here for the Hall of Fame induction party, they say, okay, can we have your invitation, please? I don't have one. Okay, well, then you can't get in. So how did this guy get in? Well, in the 1870s, there was a baseball player, and his name was Deacon White. And Deacon White has a great-great-granddaughter who happens to be married to 
sky. And so he got in on her invitation, which was given to them because not of anything, not because of anything she had done, but because of what Deacon White had done a long time ago. He didn't get into the party on his own merits. He didn't do anything to deserve getting in there. He entered on the merits of another person. And that's what happens in our lives. We don't gain admission, if you will, to abundant life here on earth and eternal life forever with God in heaven because of what we do, not because of who we are. The only way we get in is because of Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And you accept that invitation by grace through faith. You hear the truth. You believe it. You say, I need to stop going my own way. I'm veering off the path. I need to come back to the path that is straight. That's called repentance. You need to confess Jesus and say, you are the only one. You're the one who takes everything that I've ever done and makes it as if I never did it. Those things that were wrong. And you're baptized. You're immersed in water. And you come up connecting with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you have new life. You see, we can walk out of here today either in Adam or in Jesus. And by virtue of the fact that we were born physically, we are in Adam. We're just part of the human race. The way that we come to be in Jesus is what I, what I just talked about. And we're born spiritually, or as the Bible calls it, being born again. And it's fantastic news. And it's only because of God's love for you. Individually, God's love for you. One other way to illustrate this, and again, I know this is hard for us to grasp. We feel like there's something we have to do. We often focus on this idea, I have to do something, I have to work, I have to earn, I have to deserve this relationship with God. But inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul has shown us over and over, your works, they're lacking. The only thing we've earned is death. And we don't deserve a relationship with God. It's not what we can do. It's what Jesus has done. Jesus made several statements on the cross. And one of them was this. It is finished. When he paid for our sins, he cried out, it is finished. His work was done. If you get out of thesaurus, you can look up the word finished, and it has words like accomplished, completed, done. I don't know if you've ever been to the Honda plant or another uh, car manufacturing plant, but it's really cool to see the assembly line process and, and to watch as the car is put together. And when it comes out on the assembly line, when, it, when it's all done, do you know what they do? person gets in the car and they drive it back to the front of the line so they can redo it, right? No. When it comes off the assembly line, it's what? 
done. It's finished. It's completed. It would make no sense to go back and get in line and try to assemble the car again when it's already been done. And sometimes that's what we do. We think, okay, Jesus, I know you did everything, but I got to get back in line. I've got to try to do something. Jesus said, no, it is done. There is no more do. It's embrace what Jesus has done. And that's what he calls us to do. To, to embrace who he is. And so we need to be grateful. And as we sing this song, sing from a place of thankfulness for who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. And if, if you need to talk or pray, we're here up front. We can do that with you. Maybe you need to take a first step. But for all of us, let us celebrate what Jesus has done and who he is. Let's stand and sing.